0: Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret, and welcome to Self Work. We're going to be talking about listening today. So many couples come to my office and say, you know, Dr. Margaret, we just don't know how to communicate. And what I've learned in the many years I've done therapy is, really, they're talking about not knowing how to listen. Now, you're a listener, you're a podcast listener, so you obviously enjoy listening, or you have some listening skills. So I'm hoping to be able to help you, especially in your relationships. First, I'm going to tell you a phenomenal story of how one couple learned how to really listen. It's very dramatic. And then we're going to go over six bad habits that we can all get into. They're very common things, but I'm going to tell you, at least from my perspective, how you can change them. Then I'm going to give you that specific technique that the couple I talked about at the very first actually was trying to learn how to do and how to practice. And I'll give you that technique so that you can practice at home. And then as always, I'm going to read a letter from a reader. Actually, it was from a listener. I I forgot. I'm so excited that I had my first podcast listener send me through my email a question that they wanted answered on the podcast itself. This person was actually talking about one of the earlier podcasts, the one on perfectly hidden depression, and she had a question about how to change that behavior and maintain the change. Always the hardest thing to do. So the first thing we're going to talk about is this technique. I went to a workshop years ago where I heard this particular story the woman who was speaking promised that it was a true story, but it is so dramatic and so revealing of some of the problems that go unaddressed and not talked about in couples that I just, it, it, the story has stuck with me for years. So I'm going to tell it to you. I I do need to say here that I wish that I still had the materials from this particular speaker's talk, but I've Googled her, I've looked it up, I've looked, the technique was actually called the eye-to-eye technique. I have done everything I could to, so that I could give her uh, credit for this particular part of the podcast. I can't find her anywhere. So just know that I'm passing on some wisdom from another therapist to you today. So here's the story. The therapist ran workshops for multiple couples, teaching them this particular technique of how to listen to one another. One partner talked, the other partner listened. And the goal for the partner who was talking was to keep to one topic and try to travel deeper into their feelings about it. The goal for the listening partner was to get their own agenda out of the way, which is very hard to do, and try to learn something about their partner they didn't know. We'll talk more about that specific technique in a few minutes. But it's kind of like asking questions the way you did when you were first dating, when, when, when you couldn't wait to discover who this person you were falling in love with really was. How did he get the way he was? How did her mind work? So it's kind of going back to that way of trying to be with one another. So in the workshop, everyone was taught the technique, and then each couple practiced while others were listening and giving support. One couple had not taken their turn. And the husband said, come on, let's go. I'm ready. I've watched other people. I think I've got this. The wife said, I can't. I, I don't think I can say what I've been feeling and you wouldn't understand. Husband again, I promise I can. I've watched others. I get this. So the room settled down to listen. She said, okay. She paused. I often wish for your death. The room became extremely still and a couple of very long seconds went by. This was his answer. How long have you felt that way? They went on to have a discussion of really how just utterly hopeless she had felt about their marriage. She tried everything. Her fantasies about his death didn't mean she really wanted him to die, but that she was just incredibly demoralized and desperate. The marvelous thing, he really did get it. The next day, the speaker said that the couple came into the room and they were laughing. And when they asked what they were laughing about, the husband said, Well, we were walking down the sidewalk and a semi-trailer was coming the opposite way. And I looked at my wife and said, Now's your chance. (laughs) So they obviously had done incredible healing. Good listening is a skill, but like every other skill, practice makes it better. And, And why do we stop listening in the first place? What are the habits we get into that prevent us from really listening to our partners? There are lots of reasons, but here are a few. It's easy to assume you know what your partner is going to say. You've been together for years, and after all, we can get repetitive with one another. In fact, we can have the same fights over and over. But maybe you ought to think about that you don't really know what your partner is thinking or feeling all the time. You spend hours away from one another. And you each experience life and grow and learn and change, but perhaps in subtle ways, since it's just one day's time, but with multiple days, we can make changes that our partner really has no clue about. In fact, one of the things that I like to do with my husband, our local paper has a section, it's called the profile section, and uh, it profiles someone in the community basically, and they ask them. Certain questions that are highlighted, uh, at the side of the page, like who would be in their fantasy dinner party? Or if they didn't live where they were living, where would they want to live? And from time to time, I will ask my husband these questions because I don't want to assume I know the answer. One of the things I have couples do who tell me they're just having the same fight over and over again is I suggest they switch roles. If they think they know what their partner is going to say, then take the other side. It's sort of interesting what happens and can really lead to some humor and some perspective on what it's like to hear yourself say the words that your partner is saying. Mostly, I urge you to stay curious about the life of your partner. Now, the second one is something I have to admit that I do myself with my partner for sure. Uh, I hopefully don't do it as a therapist, but this is it. You're thinking about what you're going to say and can barely wait for them to stop talking. You're busy formulating some response or maybe even a defense if you don't agree with what they're saying, something that'll prove them wrong, and you can't wait to make your point. Maybe you even interrupt. It's a terribly bad habit that people get into. So what do you do about that? First, you have to acknowledge that you do it. Then second, you have to try to, once again, not assume and stay in the moment respond more spontaneously. And what's interesting is that the conversation can actually lead to somewhere new and fresh. A third thing is to recognize if you're responding to their tone and you stop listening to their words. If you say things like this to yourself, for example, as soon as she starts nagging, I shut her out. I hear that condescending tone in his voice, and I just get mad. Who is he to talk to me that way? So you're responding to the tone of voice. When you recognize you do this, you can take responsibility for it and say to your partner, I want to listen to you. But when you say it in the voice or in the way you're saying it, I tend to tune out. I get angry. I withdraw. Whatever is your particular style of defense. But again, it's that honesty and letting your partner know that you do want to hear what they have to say. It's just how they're approaching you. That's pushing your buttons, so to speak. Number four, <laughs> I hear this all the time. You're distracted by something else, so you're not really listening. How about this conversation? Have you ever had this with your partner? I told you that. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You were sitting looking at the TV and doing something on your phone, but you answered me. Well, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I hear this a lot as a therapist. Women are especially bad at assuming that men can multitask as well as we can. And one of the strengths of men is that they focus so intently on the task they're doing that they really zone out. There have even been studies that they don't hear as well when they're like watching TV or looking at their phone or texting. We women are better multitaskers, and we can't assume that men hear what we say. But it can go the other way, too, as far as gender is concerned. So if you're really listening to someone, you're looking at them in the eyes, or maybe even if it's a really serious conversation, you may jot down a couple of things that they say so you can ask a question about it. It's a very active activity. And of course, when you've got children running around, it's very, very difficult to do this. And we get in the habit of trying to talk to each other and listen to each other while we're distracted by so many different things. So finding the time to actually listen. If you really listen for five minutes, it's much better than a distracted talk for 15 minutes. And then just a practical suggestion, wait for them to finish what they're doing, especially if it's a man, before you begin telling them something that's really important and that you need for them to hear. This next one is a biggie. You can misread your partner's motive or intent. What I mean by that is you believe their intent is malicious, that they have an ulterior motive behind what they're saying. Now, to tell you the truth, if this is true of your marriage and you believe honestly that your partner many times has malicious intent, then you've got a bigger problem than listening. This particular subject, in fact, could be the subject of its own podcast. I call it personalization When you are making everything that your partner says or does or a lot of things that your partner says or does about you, many, many times that's not true and all it leads to is misunderstanding and hurt feelings. But often if we just have a conversation about the fact that I'm not understanding your reason for telling me something, or perhaps we're still sensitive about a certain subject we've been arguing about, like a common argument is who's working harder in this relationship. And let's say we fought kind of a bitter fight about that recently. And then the wife says, how about I pick up the kids today? And the husband explodes. Just because I was saying I'm tired doesn't mean I need you to do that when it maybe it's his job to pick up the kids. So it's realizing there can be sensitivity that's ongoing, but not assuming malicious intent. It's just not helpful. I believe that there is a good fix to this particular problem. It's something I do in my own relationship. My husband calls himself my current husband, although he's been around for 26 years. (laughs) But he and I do this all the time. You ask for a do-over. And what that means is maybe you admit that You're thinking something wrong about your spouse or that you're just in a bad mood or that you sniped So you just say listen, I'm not listening very well. Can we have a do-over? If you ask nicely usually you can have another chance at talking Because the other person will do the same thing to you one of these days and then you can return the favor the last problem that we're going to talk about today is When you're listening with the idea of providing a solution Instead of providing empathy Some conversations are obviously about solving a problem, figuring out dates of things, some problem with the kids, whatever it happens to be. We have a lot of conversations that are about problem solving, but not every conversation is like that. And I think it's good to start out the conversation knowing whether your partner wants your opinion or whether your partner simply wants you to listen and try to understand the dilemma they're in or the decision they're trying to make. Then, if you want to give an opinion, ask, do you want my opinion? Do you want my ideas? If they say, no, not right now, but thank you for listening, or after you've heard this, I would love to hear what you think. Again, the good news is really good communication and listening is not impossible. Far from it. It's worth the effort. It takes a little practice and some attention. But again, like I said a few minutes ago, I think five minutes of attentiveness and really good listening far outweighs many minutes or even hours of distracted or habitual ways of listening to one another that are destructive for the relationship. So go out there and practice. Now let's talk a little bit more specifically about that eye-to-eye technique that, again, I wish I knew the therapist that had introduced it, because this one is pretty tough to do. People who see me in therapy will ask me to teach them how to do this and will believe that they can do it really easily. But even though I'm a therapist, I find it hard to do with my own husband. There are just simply too many connections between the two of us. But it is possible. So here's the deal. The person who's speaking's job is to try to go deeper into the subject they're talking about, to try to understand something more completely that's bothering them, but to allow themselves some vulnerability. The listener has the very difficult job of trying to get out of their own ego, get out of their own role with their partner. Let's say the subject matter is, I'm very unhappy with my job and I'm thinking about changing. A question that obviously has a lot to do with uh, the motivation of the listener would be to say, well, when are you thinking about doing this? Or, Have you considered what that would do to me and the kids? Instead, you have to get rid of that agenda and ask a question like, well, how long have you been thinking about this? Or what caused you to consider leaving your job? Or can you tell me more about what's causing your unhappiness? Do you hear the difference? One has, or the first, has the motivation to find out something that you need to know based on what the person has just told you. Your questions are about you. The second is trying to help the person in front of you go more deeply into what they're talking about so that you learn something new about your partner and your partner actually has a chance to learn something new about themselves. People come back from practicing this and tell me, wow, it's really hard and it's hard to catch when the questions are about what you need to know, but it's very possible to do and it can completely change the way you trust your partner to listen. And you can feel closer simply because of the content. They're finding out something about you they didn't know. So you can share that confidence as well. If you'd like to read a little bit more about it, I do have a post and the link to that post will be in your show notes. That way you can review what we've talked about more easily. Again, this kind of technique is rediscovering your partner, rediscovering your own ability to listen and feeling closer feeling like you're really communicating and listening to one another. Perhaps they wouldn't ever say, I've often wished for your death, but you might find out something that's really important for you to know. I do want to make the point that when the speaker chooses a topic, that when you first begin practicing this, please try to make it something that's not about your marriage. That makes it even more difficult for the listener to remain more objective. It's just a good idea to not start with the hardest topic, And then y'all can move into it when you're ready and when you've developed some skills to help you out with that. So now we're going to go to the part of the podcast where I read an email from a listener. As I said before, I'm so pleased that it's a listener. I hope many of you will send in questions or comments via my email, which I'm going to give you in a minute. So, here's her question. After three years of working almost every day to build my media company, I got so exhausted that I went from maintaining a perfectly hidden depression and fell into classic depression. After getting a few days off, I already feel so much better. The paranoid thoughts are lessening. My happiness and excitement is increasing. Things are looking so much brighter. Except now that I've done the research and discovered that I've lived almost my entire life with PhD, or perfectly hidden depression... I'm afraid of falling back into the old patterns. What are my steps? I honestly don't think I've lived any other way since I was 15 years old. This is a great question because it's about maintaining change. Once you've realized that there are changes that you want to make and need to make and maybe even have started making, how do you maintain that change? Let's talk a little bit about Perfectly Hidden Depression There may be some of you who have not reviewed podcasts three and four, which are on Perfectly Hidden Depression and what you can do about it. The term Perfectly Hidden Depression is a concept that I came up with about two and a half years ago now. And when I started writing posts about it, those posts went viral. In my concept, perfectly hidden depression is depression that presents itself far differently than classic depression. It's not the man sitting on the floor of the bathroom not having the energy to walk the dog like they have in the commercial. Now, that's that's classic depression. In fact, perfectly hidden depressed people are the movers, the shakers, the goers, the doers. They're friendly, outgoing. They're successful. But underneath all of that, there are rigid defenses against feeling pain, confronting sorrow, whatever hurtful feelings there may be underneath. This could be intentional, or really it's become so habitual that it's unconscious. I've had hundreds of people send me emails saying they identify with this particular way of being. And one of my concerns about it is because suicide rates are going up for both men and women worldwide, and I'm afraid some of these people have perfectly hidden depression They're the people who kill themselves, and everyone says, well, I didn't know Mary was depressed or sad. I saw her last week. She looked great. So these are the people I'm trying to reach before their loneliness and exhaustion gets to the point where they do something drastic. The listener wrote further to me that she had made some changes and that she was really enjoying those changes, but she's just afraid of falling back into that pattern. So how do you maintain change, any kind of change? Well, You probably will relapse from time to time, but I've never seen change occur as a therapist. That's like a straight line going up that every behavior, every choice, every day, you're doing this new behavior. You're seeing this new pattern. You're being able to constantly use new skills. No, in fact, quite the opposite. We're human beings, and so we tend to pull out some things that are old in order to handle the stress. We'd rather count on something that's familiar than is new and unfamiliar. So having compassion for yourself in this process, knowing that it's going to take time to change things that have been entrenched for years. Actually, her question does even reflect the perfectionism of someone with perfectly hidden depression. She wants to change this perfectly in herself so it doesn't return. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to practice. And sometimes going into therapy can be helpful because you have someone with more objective feedback but you can do it yourself. I'm hoping to help this process, by the way, because I do have a book proposal out there on perfectly in depression, and I'll definitely have ideas on how to maintain that change. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Self Work. I hope you're enjoying them. I probably should have said at the beginning of the podcast that I'm a clinical psychologist. I've practiced for over 20 years in Fayville, Arkansas. I love what I do, and that's why I started the podcast, to try to reach even more people And I really hope that you will write me, email me, text me, whatever, about subjects that you would like to hear about. Here are the ways you can reach me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. My email, which only I read, is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. My office number is 479-443-3413. I'm on Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, Would love to see you there. At Twitter, I'm at Dr. Underscore Margaret. And of course, I would love for you to subscribe. I'm excited to see that people are subscribing. Just know that the podcast will be diverse and on different topics. So just because one doesn't particularly pertain to you doesn't mean the next one won't. So I hope you'll subscribe. And of course, I would also love ratings and reviews, especially the reviews. Let me know what you particularly like about the podcast. And of course, if you have any kind of constructive criticism, I'm more than open to that. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and you've been listening to Self Work.